Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Good Mood Podcast. I'm Dr. Talia Marcajani, and this is Plenishing Your Resilience Reserves with Dr. Tara Guzzo, naturopathic doctor. Resilience is the body and mind's ability to adapt to stress, challenge, and change. Some of us would refer to it as bouncing back from hardship, but even better, if we're truly resilient when hardship hits, we're able to bounce forward instead, coming out of trauma or difficulty with more strength and grit than we had going into it. Dr. Tara is a fellow ND and an acupuncturist who works with busy women who are tired and unsatisfied with a life that's just okay. She's a CEO and clinical director of Inversa Health and has created the Resilience Reset Program designed to promote calm, confidence, and all-day energy in the face of depleting daily life stressors. Particularly in this time, resilience is a topic that we're coming back to over and over again. Tara is also the host and creator of a television series on Shaw Spotlight called Elevating Women's Wellness, in which she interviews local female healthcare providers on relevant women's health topics to elevate the wellness of listeners. In this podcast, we talk about Tara's experience that called in her resilience reserves, where her clinic burnt down at the beginning of this year before the rest of the world literally burnt down as well. And by literally, I mean figuratively except in California where it literally is burning. We talk about how she leveraged what she preaches to support herself through the trauma of the situation to bounce back with resilience. We talk about building resilience reserves through the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual body and emotional self-regulation, trauma, support, and more. This is a powerful episode because Tara uses her own personal experience to highlight the importance of replenishing resilience reserves to be able to face traumatic events and hardship. And then she also talks about very practical things that you can do or be aware of to also build your resilience reserves. So it's a really exciting episode and I hope you like it. So welcome, Tara. How are you? Yeah, Your last name is Guzzo. Are you Italian? I'm good. And thank you so much for having me. I'm married Italian. Uh, okay. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no pressure to be producing pasta on a regular basis for your partner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My in-laws are amazing chefs, honestly. Um, but also, I've actually been learning Italian recently. It's something that I picked up during um, the pandemic. I'm like, what am I going to do with my time? So I started to uh, learn Italian. I'm just doing five minutes a day, but I picked up some words here and there. That's awesome, actually. That's really good. It's a good way to use the pandemic. I learned to Rubik's Cube. It's like the weirdest. It's like, yeah, it's like, let's just learn some like party tricks, you know, those random things that you would never have had the time or patience to learn. But like, yeah, you're like, if I'm in Italy, I can order stuff with a good accent. And for me, I'm like, if someone has a Rubik's Cube lying on the table, I can like solve it in a minute, in two minutes. <laughs> so. <laughs> love it yeah you're like this is the COVID skills you have to get creative in these times yeah exactly <laughs> so why don't you tell us about, a little bit about your practice so your focus is is resilience or you have a Facebook group called the resilience reset community and how did you how did you decide to to niche into that focus or to 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 invest clinical energy in that area 
Sure. Um, well, I can tell you about something more recent historically that made me double down on this and re recognize the importance. Because I've always been interested in women's health, stress, the psychology of health, how our, our thoughts and emotions impact our bodies. So um, this has always been an interest of mine, but I recognize the importance of res the resilience piece. Um, I would say last year, um, there was something that significantly shifted in my life. And so I'll tell you a little bit about that. Um, I went to bed like any other night. I really value sleep and that's important for our resilience. So I make sure that I get some really good rest. And I was awoken at 3.17 a.m. by really loud knocking on the front door. And it wasn't just regular knocking. It was loud, frantic, with doorbell ringing in between type of knocking. So I got up so startled. And I had my husband go look outside and check who was here because we know there's no good knocks on the door, you know, after bedtime. 17, yeah. Yeah. So he looked outside and then he said, there's, there's a police car in our driveway. Mm -hmm. And my heart sank to my feet. I was terrified and instantly thought, worst case scenario, you know, someone's dead. They're mm -hmm. here to tell us. Just terrified. So got dressed quickly, went to the front door, opened the door, and there were two solemn police officers standing there. And they informed us that the building where my practice was located mm -hmm. um, was actively burning down. Yes. And thankfully, no one was killed. No one is even injured. And we're really grateful to all the first responders that were there to deal with that. But we knew at that moment that our lives were significantly changing in the moment. Mm -hmm. I should add to that this building where my office was located, my in-laws also owned the building. It was, you know, when they immigrated from Italy and they worked so hard and they came here with nothing. And in fact, in debt for sponsorship to be in this country, they worked so hard to eventually purchase this building where their, their um, business was located for many, many years. So then I was in the same building and it was a source of pride for them. They were so happy and excited and they loved this building. They took such great care of it. And for this to have happened was just devastating for our entire family. Mm -hmm. So just to give more context. So, you know, a couple women lost their homes, three local businesses. You know, we lost all of our stuff. So it was very devastating for that to happen. And I realized in that moment, now more than ever is a time to walk your talk. Like I needed to really dig in. Um, to the resilience piece and I relied on my tools every single day and I had to learn and develop even more tools yet um, because I needed them myself to be able to thrive through that. So with all the work thankfully that I had been doing prior um, on my own health, in my own life, with all the learning that I've done over the years, I was able to deal with the trauma very rapidly with the support of my healthcare team mm -hmm. and to also restart a new temporary clinic within 12 days of fire. Whoa. Wow. Within 12 days. 
yeah. that is that is quite a bouncy bouncy bouncing back yeah wow. yeah because I I knew too that I needed to um, show up as a leader and I knew I couldn't do that unless I um, dug in further to the resilience the resilience piece and then also getting the support from my healthcare team um, because I just I couldn't uh, ha- handle patients asking me questions every single day if I wasn't in a good place and feeling like the strength of being a leader at that time. Yeah. And it's so, and so from then, then things sort of became more immersed in the resilience piece clinically. That's when things are to, to deepen into resilience as a focus. Well, resilience has been my focus for at least the last four years. Okay. Um, so I've been, I have a program called the resilience reset program. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a way of sort of really grounding in my mission on a whole new level, um, that I didn't anticipate. Of course, we don't anticipate when tragedy is going to strike, mm-hmm. um, in our lives, which is the importance of preparation. So the way that I define resilience is the ability to prepare for, recover from, and adapt to stress, challenge, and change. Mm. And the preparation piece, I would argue, is like the most important part because if we are not prepared through our health habits, through being clear on our purpose and values, um, to having good emotional self-regulation skills, to having healthy thought patterns and mindsets, a healthy body, all those things, then we're not going to be able to recover well. We're not going to be able to bounce forward and adapt and learn in the space that I think we truly want to. Um, So resilience has been a focus for many years, as I said, but uh, I recognize its importance more than ever when I went through that level of of trauma myself. Yeah. Right. That's when you're like, I can put these pieces into practice and see how effective they are. And, and really, like you said, walk the talk. It becomes more than a theory at this point where you're literally seeing how your emotions are playing out and whether the tools are, are working. And when you find out they do work, you're like, okay, great. We, we've, we've tested this exactly. through a very unfortunate circumstance. And, and so it, you know, so you get the knock at the door, it's 3 a.m., you know, you're already in shock and you don't know the information yet, but you know it's not good. And your yeah. mind is kind of preparing you for worst case scenario that you can think of. And it's not that scenario. Like you're going, you're going to, okay, someone died and you find out, okay, something really bad is happening, but it's not as, it's not the complete worst scenario. Like nobody's dead, nobody's injured, but now there's, this clinic burning down and and then the devastation of all that people's homes your clinic your in-laws investment and so what's happening in that moment so you're going from shock to maybe a t- touch of relief but then it's still terrible and then yeah. where are you at like do you remember the experience of I do so vividly as I think many people will tell you who have experienced um, something so difficult that it is like ingrained in your memory. So initially there was, you know, the really, the feeling terrified. And then I moved into shock um, for a little bit. And then there was um, acceptance, like Mm -hmm. acceptance meaning I don't condone that this is happening, but this is happening. 
Right. Um, and then I moved into gratitude and kind of vacillated between shock and gratitude for a while um, <laughs> because it was just like, wow, you know, you just see all the after effects as they come. It just unravels and it's just like, oh my goodness, all these things that I didn't anticipate that I have to cope with now and deal with and I have to take action on. And then the gratitude piece for, um, again, all the first responders that were there, the police officers who came to our door at that time to notify us and who have to do that every day and in other scenarios too, and maybe worse scenarios, um, to the firefighters who were on scene and did an incredible job of saving the adjacent building, trying to minimize the damage as much as possible. Uh, one of the firefighters even went in because we were on scene and went in and covered up, pulled my diplomas off the wall and oh. um, degrees and certificates and covered them up, covered up my treatment tables, rescued all the technology pieces, all the laptops. Um, so I'm immensely grateful um, for that. I'm so grateful that no one was harmed or injured mm. where it certainly could have been worse. Mm. So between gratitude and shock for a bit, the acceptance piece was there um, as in this is happening. And then again, just doubling down on resilience, like, okay, time to build some resilience because we need to start the recovery process and to learn from this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful what you're describing. It's like, because like, it's not, we think of like the stages of grief, right? Where it just goes through one. And then when you're done with one stage, you go into the next stage from shock to sadness. To, but what you're describing, I think, is more in line with most people's experience, where it's a, a combination of different things that move through, move back and forward, and you accept a new piece. And then there's shock about this other piece. And there's paralysis. And then there's gratitude. And then there's also this, this okay, it's time for action now. And I don't know how to move forward, but I need to. And then, and then gratitude, like, I, I don't need to lift this on my own. There are people here who are doing all these things that I would have no idea how to do, like put out a fire or save some of my equipment or even respond to this situation in the way that they were doing because they've been trained. Mm -hmm. um, and then they also, picking up on this, like they care, like they weren't just doing a job. They they didn't know you, but they cared about saving in your clinic, you know, and, and they cared about things that were important to you, the diplomas, mm -hmm. the technology, your treatment table, you know, so they sort of, I don't know whether it's subconsciously, but there was a real empathy there in the care that they were, that they were giving to the situation where they were like kind of looking at what would be the important things for us to prioritize. And you're like, that, that is also my priority too some stuff yeah. that can't really be replaced and or not easily replaced. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So and fortunate for that. And I think, you know, from what you just mentioned, something that's really important to point out to people is that resilience is both an individual thing and a community thing. So yes, there's pieces we can work on as an individual, but we can't do resilience without others. It is not a solo act. So we, we build resilience together in community. So I mentioned the first responders. Um, then there's also my whole family that like jumped in and supported from like the moment this whole disaster started. Um, my amazing receptionist who was there every step in the way. We set up a temporary workstation at the island in my kitchen. Um, she was there every day to help and support and to make sure our patients were informed 
and um, my husband, who was just such uh, a pillar of strength for me at that time. And we were really very much for each other because we're both devastated and impacted um, by this experience. And then in the, the wider community, Sometimes people think in business that um, people in similar lines of work are competition. I've truly never felt that way. Um, but let's say, quote unquote, people who were competitors uh, reached out to me and offered me space in their clinics. Mm. And people I hadn't heard from from years were reaching out and saying, you know, I'm so sorry that this happened. Let me know if there's anything that you need. Um, so just the wider community too, of people reaching out and stepping in. And I can tell you that I cried far more tears of like overwhelm from just the love and support that I felt from the community while I was working on rebuilding resilience than I ever did from sadness about what happened. Mm-hmm. And, and these things like... I mean, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to jump in with silver linings when it's when it's you know someone's describing a tragedy they lived through. But it's you can't experience well, and you can also correct me if what I'm saying is it, it, you agree with. But um, you you sort of can't experience that level of support until you have a, you know an equal level of tra- of tragedy. So because we never really know the level at which people will support us, right? Like you could kind of live your life thinking, okay, a tragedy could happen at any time because that's just how life is. And I don't actually know if people will be there through that with me. And then when something like that happens and you get the evidence, you see all the support come rushing in. I don't know, you know, if this is true for you, but it would seem like moving forward from then on, there's this extra layer of resilience of like, people that are there for me, like they're waiting on the sidelines to to jump in and, and serve me in a moment of real hardship. And that's really... Like I am not alone, you know, mm-hmm. you know, even in moments where you might feel alone or stressed or, you know, people are busy that like, you know, that they're there, you know, in some way. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah. wow. I, I agree with what you're saying. I don't think I would have known how supported I was unless this occurred because certainly, you know, there's connections that I have with so many people in our community, but they're not always like day-to-day connections. Um, and you know, we, because everyone lives, you know, relatively busy lives and people are preoccupied with whatever they're doing. Um, but then when something like this really stands out and it makes the news and everyone knows there's that awareness and then the response from people is just, it's really incredible. I, I live in an amazing community. I can say that with certainty mm-hmm. and also, um, yeah, I just don't think I would have felt the same level and like, had faith in that level of support until I really felt it. I didn't know that I would have to access it in that way either, but it um, it was really amazing to see the response. Yeah. It's yeah. Cause I think of um, anxiety as like waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like this anticipation of something horrible happening, but so many people I know who suffer from anxiety will all tell me or most of them, Uh, will tell me that when something terrible does happen, that they find they have all of these resources with which to respond. And it's almost like the more they experience difficulty, the more they trust their capacity to respond or the resources there available to them. And then they they experience less day-to-day anxiety as they're kind of like, because 
you don't need to anticipate um, sort of like performance. Like if you're really confident in your performance, you don't experience the same level of performance anxiety before a show when you're like, you know what, I know I'm going to have the jitters, but then as soon as things start, I know it's going to go well. So that sort of anticipatory anxiety is becoming less and less and less. So I don't know if you felt that like just in the day to day of like, I really don't want another clinic to burn down again, but I have this deep confidence that if anything like that should happen again, I can respond to it. Yes. Agreed. And there's a term that I use called resilience reserve. And it's really how much, um, how much energy and how much in terms of resources do you have in your tank when stress challenge or change hits? So it's, the personal piece, which is what we are individually responsible for, but then it's also the community piece. So we can count that as part of our resilience reserve, because again, resilience is not a solo act. We build resilience together in community. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. What are some of the aspects of resilience reserve? Like, and what did you have and did you know you had all these things before it happened? Just curious about that. Yeah, <laughs> no. Some examples since it's your story. Hundred percent. Just- <laughs> more than happy to share. So what I'll say is, you know, resilience reserve, or the way I think about resilience is really sort of four aspects, which is the mental aspect, the emotional, the spiritual, and the physical. So it's all those things. So how are you doing in those key areas on you know specific parameters? And I think you know, traditionally I've been thinking about it for my practice with my patients, but then this was a moment of self-reflection of how was I doing in all these ways? And I think that's what really dictated my successful, quick recovery, considering the circumstances. Um, so in resilience reserve, you really want to look at those four categories. So the, the mental aspect, what are your mindsets? What are your beliefs and thought patterns? So if we think about that, and again, using myself as an example, um, I feel like I have a sense that everything happens for a reason. And I'm also like very, um, I'm always open to reframing experiences. So I'm open to first seeing that, okay, this, this happened, acknowledging it, et cetera, feeling all the feelings. Um, But then I also love a good reframe, like how can I reframe this? And I don't think I would have felt as deeply about my mission and about resilience had this not happened. For example, with the emotional piece, it's how do we navigate our emotions and self-regulate our emotions? And even the emotional piece I think about in terms of relationship to like, what is our relationship to self and others? So with the navigating the emotion piece, like, I I truly believe that we have permission to feel all things. So I allowed myself to feel all the feelings. I allowed myself to be in shock for as long as I needed to be there. And then when the grief came, I allowed that to happen. Um, and then, you know, so I allowed myself to go through all those emotions. I didn't just jump to gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is a really, that it can be so harmful to suppress are more uncomfortable or unpleasant emotions. I think it's so important to understand, uh, to experience them and to understand them. So for example, if you're feeling grief, it's because you have a sense of loss. And that's something that gives us information about how we're feeling about a certain situation. Mm-hmm. Before then we can move on to the gratitude piece. You need to go through the emotions. So that's an important piece. So because I had that 
self-belief, which is the mental part, then the emotional part. And I allowed myself and gave myself permission. I didn't stay in the negative emotion for long. Mm -hmm. So when we suppress unpleasant emotions or uncomfortable emotions, then we tend to hang on to them longer. We stay stuck in that state um, rather than allowing it to happen, processing it in the way that we need to, and then moving forward because it'll just naturally occur that then you return to a more joyous, balanced state. Mm. Um, If I look at the spiritual piece, that's about purpose, values. Um, Those are like key pieces there. So from the value piece, I started to actually understand better leadership. I didn't really look at myself always as a leader before, um, even though, you know, I I lead in certain ways, but I just didn't think of myself that way. But it became uh, an important value for me was leadership. Like, how do I become like a healthy example with all of my imperfections to really show up for others so that they know that they can do the same? And then with the purpose piece, if we look at another aspect of um, spiritual resilience is the life purpose. And as I mentioned, I would have never uh, felt so deeply about my mission and like recommitted to it on this new level had I not been through that experience. And for the physical piece, thankfully, you know, I've been working for almost, uh, let's say my health journey has been over almost 20 years now, where over time I've implemented certain health habits and explored those that work for me. The outside, I mentioned how important sleep is. I'm totally obsessed with getting a good night's sleep. So I do that consistently with eating in a way that makes me feel well, um, with movement, um, with all those pieces that I think are important, our environment, being connected to nature, all those things that have to do with the physical aspect um, of our health. So those are all in place for me in a big way. Um, definitely always room for growth in all those areas. But I would say overall is definitely doing it better, you know, above average. So that helped me build my resilience reserve. And then I recognized, you know, I have strong personal relationships, but my wider community relationships were there for me. Mm-hmm. So um, that kind of filled up my resilience reserve. So when stress hit, it wasn't, it wasn't as, let's say, damaging, it was easier to come back from, and to um, be able to grow from that experience. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, cuz it gives it gives us so many pillars that we can that we can focus on to prepare our our resilience reserves because even if someone so I'm thinking of somebody who might say, "Well, I don't feel like I can trust my community. I don't feel supported uh, by people around me, so it doesn't make me feel safe." And whether that's true or not, cuz we don't sometimes don't know until it's tested, but that general feeling of lack of safety in the community, which and that definitely could be true. There's a lot of crime and things like that. But there's these other pieces that could be helpful too, right? Like the physical, mental, emotional, the spiritual, um, this hardiness that we can cultivate, you know? Um, and, and yeah, and like, I think you probably noticed this too. When I work with people who are experiencing like a deep uh, depression or like almost an, um, a nervous system collapse where that's the person that like can't get out of bed in the morning. Like, and usually their history to to how they got to that point is that they were slowly burning themselves out just in day-to-day life or they were slowly being burnt out and then a big event happened so a clinic burning down type situation even something lighter than that like just another work assignment or 
you know, or they experience a divorce or just something big. So it's kind of a straw that broke the camel's back or, I don't know, a log that broke the camel's back, but their, their resilience reserves were essentially empty. And then they just kind of hit this collapse when this other load of stress hit them, like they couldn't bounce back. Um, so what you're speaking about is really important. It's really useful to know, you know? Um, yeah. You're not, you're not just kind of like, well, I was born more resilient. So when this kind of thing happens, I just kind of bounce back. You're like, no, I kind of had invested and studied this for years before. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'd love to speak to what you're saying. Cause I think that is a common myth about resilience is, Oh, well, some people just have it and other people don't. <clears throat> I want to say a couple things. First, resilience is in your DNA. We are all born with a capacity for resilience. If I have a paper cut on my finger, guess what? There are systems within my body that are going to kick in and help to heal that without me having to think about it. But say, for example, if someone was diagnosed with diabetes, they might have slower healing, right? So there's things that can diminish your resilience capacity. And then if someone is um, really balanced and well, and they're eating super nutritious diet, then they might heal faster than the average person. So you can definitely influence and grow your resilience capacity. But if um, you know, you're experiencing symptoms, et cetera, that is a sign that you need to start to invest more in your resilience. So I think that we are all born resilient that is built into us. It is in the fabric of our beings as humans but that we can certainly grow that capacity and make it even better, more reliable uh, and present for us when we really need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. The yeah, resilience is in your DNA. I just saw a Facebook meme. I don't know if you saw this or maybe you shared it and I just sh- shared it from you uh, where it was like, you have two parents, you have four grandparents, you have 16 great grandparents and it goes on like 20 generations down. You have like 4,000 ancestors and all of those people had to survive wars and famine and trauma and hardships in order and everything had to come together for them to have a child and all that happened like thousands of times if you go back to the first living being that formed your oldest ancestor (laughs) in the primordial soup it's like how much resilience was required to form you so yeah, it's so different. Yeah, like you're, it's literally in your DNA. The fact that you're alive on this planet means your DNA has earned that right to be here. <laughs> That's so cool. Like, thanks for sharing that example. I had not seen that. Um, and I think it's true. It's almost miraculous if you think about how many different um, things had to come together to get you to where you are today. And I love to think about that too, because, you know, when I've talked about community in terms of resilience and having that support. I also think about um, people who are no longer with me that have been known to me throughout my life. My grandmother, for example, was um, so important to me in my life, really critical relationship that I had growing up. And I often think of her and what would she do? What would she say to me? Um, and I use her example, her, you know, former living example to call on when I need resilience in really important moments. So community is not only just the people who are with us, but they're people who may have passed on, um, but their spirit can live through us and they can still be sharing those gifts that they've given to us 
in an active present form in our lives today. That's a really important thing to share, actually. Yeah, it's really true. Like calling on some entity um, or pulling in, yeah, the energy of these other, of these relationships. So could be, yeah, someone who's passed on who is significant. It could be a religious um, figure like a god or, um, you know, some sort of faith-based entity, the higher self, we hear that. Um, in narrative therapy, we have something called remembering conversations, or it's either remembering someone who's passed on, or sometimes when you work with kids, you're like, you know, they're like, I don't have anyone, but they have Batman, or so it's like it's how we personify that relationship. But also when, with, a re, with a person who lived, you can sort of call in that relationship and how you were seen in their eyes, how they would help you through the situation, you know, the comfort that they would give to you. Yeah, I think I literally think about it all the time, particularly my grandmother. That's just someone who is near and dear to my heart. But, you know, if we look at the neuroscience aspect of things, if we are thinking about something or reflecting on a memory or even imagining something that didn't occur, our brains and bodies respond as if that is happening now. So that's the cool neuroscience piece that we can pull in here. We can actually leverage our mind, our imaginative faculty, um, our ability to just hold an image in our minds and really experience the emotion that that image brings about in order to produce measurable changes in the brain or body, positively influence our health and build our resilience. Amazing. That's really amazing. Yeah. I mean, people in in high-level sport will talk about all the time, like they'll visualize um, what they're going to do and they actually spend a lot of time in the visualization space, especially with a high stakes kind of, like I'm thinking of um, snowboarding. This girl, Anna Gasser, um, was the first woman to do a triple cork. (laughs) It's like a a three and a half rotations uh, upside down, like it's insane. And she just tried it once, Linda, because it was all the visualization that took place where she's like, hey, I can see it in my mind. My body knows what to do, but it was all mental, um, you know, with a bit of physical resilience training for the body to be able to go through those motions. But yeah, yeah I mean, so that's neat. amazing. Yeah, you're, you're just calling in your mental faculties, your mental resources to, to prime yourself for Mm -hmm. the ups and downs of life. Yeah, Yeah, so true. Just building those neural pathways so they're available for you, which again goes back to the preparation piece with resilience being so, so critical for our success. Mm -hmm. And then you also were speaking about with that that emotional regulation piece where you were talking about feeling through the emotions, like just allowing these, these negative, let's call them, like sadness, grief, shock, anger, whatever, you know, what we consider the negative emotions to just come through. So allowing them, you know, not, you know, a lot of, uh, I think we, at at our um, clinical mastermind, were you there for that lecture with the psychologist whose name? Yes. Yeah. The, (laughs) oh man, 90 seconds to something. She has a book. I can put it. Yeah. (laughs) But but she talks about, yeah, an emotion lasts for 90 seconds and the, the hardship and difficulty we have with emotions is when we try and block them from happening because we don't trust that they'll pass. And, and everything that 
causes us pain in life or everything we don't want to do is to avoid a negative emotion. Um, and so if you are allowing emotions to come through, then it eliminates a certain aspect of fear, right? Like you're like, well, yeah, yeah I can feel grief. That's, I, can, I can feel grief deeply, the, the deep, uncomfortable feelings and physical sensations that are associated with grief, knowing it will last for 90 seconds. It might come back again, but I know that these waves will kind of wash over me in 90 seconds. Yes. Yeah, so true. Um, I love that example. And I think it's so important because we're not taught um, as children to be with emotions. Sometimes those are suppressed through the words that are communicated to us. Like this is not acceptable um, behavior if we're angry or upset. Um, But that is a problem because we don't learn from the earliest age when we are going through development always to be able to express our emotions and to just feel them again having permission to feel is critically important and a really simple practice is just you know as you mentioned just breathing through it just allowing it to come oftentimes emotions when you are just still and present with them it can feel like a wave like it's kind of coming and amplifying and then it's going down again and then it amplifies and the experience of that doesn't really last too long, but our brain is an organ whose purpose is to protect us from anything that could create harm or impact our survival. So anything that we perceive as uncomfortable, unpleasant, we have a tendency to want to avoid, um, suppress, deny all those things, um, including the uncomfortable or unpleasant emotions. So I think it's important just to acknowledge like, okay, feeling anger, feeling sadness, feeling grief, not going to kill you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's okay to feel those things and to allow that, to give yourself unconditional permission to feel what you're feeling, to allow it to pass. And then you have clarity of mind again, where you can um, reframe if need be, take a different action, whatever you need to do in that moment, you can move on to cultivating positive emotion, which is something that I focus on quite a bit um, clinically in my practice and in my programs with patients. Um, but you have to feel the feelings first. Mm. Yeah. Is it, can we cultivate positive emotion if we don't allow space for the, the negative emotion? Because it's all about the intensity at which we can feel things. So many people will say, that they have a hard time feeling joy um, when they're also muting anger, sadness, pain, shame, you know? Yes. Couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so true because permission to feel um, is permission to feel without judgment. So not judging that it's positive or negative, maybe noticing that it's comfortable or uncomfortable Um, But it's not about the judgment piece and you don't get to selectively filter. If you downregulate your feeling of emotion, you downregulate all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very, yeah. I mean, a lot of that comes from, we we talked about trauma initially and essentially resilience is a big piece in helping to bounce back from trauma, um, heal from trauma right? Because trauma, a big part of PTSD is the anticipation that the trauma will reoccur, that it's threatening to reoccur at any moment, that there has to be this vigilance, which is very different from resilience, right? Like vigilance puts us in prey mode, 
Whereas resilience is kind of like you're in hunter mode. You're like, well, things are going to jump out of the bushes. That's cool. Like I'm ready for them. Right. Um, actually there was a study and I don't remember a lot of the details, but there, I think it was a school bus, um, that, uh, there was an accident happened with this school bus and they looked at the kids afterwards. So the kids almost, um, died in the school bus. I don't think they did though. I think they were rescued. And then they, they use these kids to study trauma afterwards because they're children. So it's often when trauma is solidifying the brain and not all of the kids uh, suffer from PTSD, but a lot of them did. And they looked at, uh, I think maybe it was just one kid that wasn't suffering from PTSD, but I'm really butchering this story. <laughs> but the gist is that the, the kid or the kids that, that didn't suffer from PTSD in the moment of trauma, when the event was happening, something in them was mobilized and they started to try and get themselves out of the situation. So, and they were, they were helping others. So there were these elements that came into play and the researchers, I don't think were understood what made that child different from the other children, but it could have been resilience preserves where it was like, if someone takes action in a moment of high, high stress, something happens in their nervous system where they no longer stay in that sort of prey mode versus the children that didn't know what to do, that just felt like they had to freeze and let things happen to them, which is a very common fear response. It's not that there's anything wrong with that, but the people who were in that situation suffered from PTSD down the line. Um, And you definitely talked about like letting yourself feel the feelings and not getting stuck in them. So there was shock, but shock didn't create paralysis. You took action and, and then that allowed things to happen and, um, and yeah, so there was this mobilization of some of the resilience reserves as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think to, um, something that would be relevant to share with your audience is that, um, one of my secret weapons that I've used for myself, um, and also that I highly recommend and refer so many patients for is treatment through EMDR. Um, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's a really cool technique that gets at the level of the brain and the nervous system to get us out of uh, fight, flight, or freeze, wherever we may be stuck in a trauma. And in my personal experience, it's been one of the most rapidly acting, um, I guess, transformative techniques to use applied to trauma And that is something that I sought um, treatment for for my healthcare team at the very beginning, like within five days of the fire, once I was out of shock, um, I had an EMDR session, cleared it like in that first session. So then I was like, okay, I'm grounded again. I'm out of like being in highly reactive state. Mm -hmm. Um, So for really potent um, experiences that can put you in, Um, fight, flight, or freeze. I think that EMDR is really helpful. I've seen it do incredible things with my patients. I've experienced it myself. And especially um, the difference between applying it to longer term trauma, which sometimes can take more sessions, um, versus a more acute trauma that Mm -hmm. recently occurred that you are presently stuck in. Um, it was so amazing how rapidly I moved through it. I credit that with like a huge part of my very rapid recovery from mm-hmm. that experience. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had Ion on the podcast like very early on. Uh, one of my friends who's a psychotherapist who who does EMDR and trauma, and he focuses in dissociation. Um, what was that experience like to get EMDR? So it's you're sitting with a therapist. You're not necessarily getting too much into story, right? Like they're mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. it's very like bodily oriented in a in a way, you know? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So the experience of it is like first you know, we're not necessarily traumatized by an experience itself, but by what meaning we ascribe to that experience. Mm -hmm. So for example, in the fire, um, one meaning you might ascribe to it as is, um, for example, I can't even remember exactly what my belief statement was about it, but let's say I've, I've lost everything. The fire means I've lost everything. Um, then you can work on it where there's different sensory stimuli provided to the body. This can be through eye movement. This can be through um, sound, so auditory or physical stimulus um, by holding some type of electrode in your hand. And it goes back and forth between both sides of the body. So there's bilateral stimulation of the brain that helps us to get out of that state very quickly. So there's not a whole lot of story. So you don't talk about it um, in depth. Sometimes rediscussing a trauma can re-traumatize because we're going over it and you're just entrenching that further. Whereas um, I find that EMDR is like, okay, what is your the meaning you're ascribing to the situation? And um, how do we move away from that so we can create new meaning so that the fire can mean instead this is an opportunity to recreate versus I have lost everything. You know, those are two major (laughs) different feeling states there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's really interesting that like it, it really is about the meaning we create. Right. I think of the kids in the school bus story where the ones who experience PTSD most maybe very likely had like a story of their helplessness you know, and then the ones that that mobilized probably left the situation with this internal sense of, you know, I know what to do in these situations, or I help people, or I am strong, whatever it was, right? Yeah. It just, it could have been just the narrative that was different for those two groups of kids. Yeah, I agree. Because yeah. I think things come down a lot to um, the beliefs that we have. So what are we telling ourselves about something broadly in life, like across everything, including the stories we tell ourselves about our health. Mm-hmm. So am I someone who's so exhausted every day that I can't get out of bed? Or am I someone who is having some energy challenges who needs to seek some support for that? Mm-hmm. Um, right. What are the stories that we're telling ourselves? What do these things tell us about our own identity? Mm-hmm. How does our identity connect to that? I think identity is actually the deeper level. Right. Who are you? Who are you and who are you going to be? In this experience because our identity can be changed moment to moment if we choose yeah. um, for the most part I think people just go back to who have I historically been rather than who can I be moving forward mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah like this this idea of like you could just I've lost every yeah, if you if you come away from a situation with I've lost everything what does that change about how you act or how you respond to the situation first of all the stress response is would be astronomically higher because if you've lost everything, then you have nothing. That's it. That's the end of, of a certain tons of identity stories, you know? 
mm-hmm. who you are as a person. Um, but if the narrative is different, if, if it's some something along the lines of, well, this is a really bad situation, or this is really horrible, or this is really sad, or this is, you know, the situation's really bad. But then there are these other sort of stories or meanings of like, but there's people helping me or we'll get through this or this is what I have to do now. Or there's these other, like it seemed like there was a, it was a complex array of various meanings, but it wasn't just this one devastating meaning of okay, everything's done now. There's no hope. There's no point. Yeah. Like if I think of, yeah, everything's lost, then I don't, I, I, I start to think like, oh, there's no point or yeah. I'm yeah. a failure. It's done. This always happens to me, you know? Yeah. There's no moving forward from that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I think the reframe on that being this is an opportunity to recreate um, actually gave me so much excitement about the possibility of the future. I decided to do an entire rebrand of of my clinic. So I did an entire rebrand. I, again, doubled down on the resilience piece. I'm like, this is the messaging I know that I'm truly meant to communicate. So let's amplify this um, instead of it having being a little portion of what I'm doing. I'm like, I really want to support women who are um, tired, stressed, feeling anxious, depleted. I want to help them feel calm again, to feel empowered in their emotional responses, to feel strong and to really feel that resilience piece. That's what I want to help women do. So um, that totally created a sense of um, self-efficacy, like, you know, I, I'm capable of doing this, I can do this, it created a lot of excitement about possibility and future, I turned my focus to service, um, instead of, you know, feeling a lack of control, and there's nothing I can do, I focused on what I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the connection piece too was, was really critical for me connecting with the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't need to lift this all on my own. It's not all up to me. And, mm-hmm. and then a very powerful reframe of like repurposing, like here's my new purpose that's going to allow me to move forward. And, but, and then again, though, like it's, it's not just that it's not just like, Oh, you're standing there watching the clinic burn thinking like, what a great opportunity. You're going through the emotions in that moment, which I think it's hard because we do want to skip to the part of the reframe. Um, but that can sometimes also lead to, to deeper, long-lasting trauma because we haven't felt the, acknowledged the very real feelings that happen in the days after or in the moment where you're like, I really need to just cry right now. And, you know, it's so whatever. True. Mm. It's so true. If you've ever been hooked on a good movie or a good TV series, you'll notice that the hero in the series is in bypass the tragedy, the stress, the trauma, they go through it. No one skips to the end and just wants to know what happened. You really go on a journey with others. And I think it's important to be present for a journey for yourself so that you're not just bypassing everything that is difficult because that's where we grow. You don't grow when everything was balanced and good and I was on vacation. Did I grow from my vacation? No. (laughs) But did I become more resilient? Yes. That helped me restore my capacity. And in fact, just been on an amazing vacation right before the fire. Helped a lot. But I didn't grow during that vacation. You know, so we can't fast forward to the end. That's boring anyway. Life is really about 
everything. It's about the diversity of experience. It's not just about um, the good part at the end when everything's okay again. Right. It's a pretty boring movie if it's like he was born, he met a stranger or went on a journey and then just like, okay, there they are on a beach relaxing. Like we want there to be uh, <laughs> the moment, the, the, the hardship, the challenge, whatever in the movie. We want to see how they get through it. Um, yeah. IMAX and then the resolution and yeah, the moral. That's the, yeah, it's the truth of the human experience. So we don't want to be told a lie. We want to be told what's the true human experience here. Um, And, you know, there's another piece that I think is important too, because I know that we focused to help kind of illustrate uh, all about resilience on this like big crisis. But I want your audience to know too, that you don't need a crisis to build resilience. You can be doing that every single day in small ways. And in fact, I highly advocate for my patients to find micro opportunities throughout their day. So those are like small idle moments in time. Say you're waiting in line at the grocery store, stop at a red light, waiting for your tea water to boil or your coffee to be made, whatever it is, find those micro opportunities and make it a regular practice of cultivating um, positive emotion during that time. Maybe it's gratitude. Maybe it's awe. Maybe it's joy, whatever it is, but leverage those micro opportunities to actually build your resilience. So it doesn't have to be something that you're tacking on to another checklist that you have to do. It doesn't feel like um, a burden, but it's something that's just naturally kind of built into your day so that you're using idle time to actually be productive on building your resilience. And one really important way I help my patients build their resilience is through the power of cultivating positive emotion. I think that's so important. Again, never without not experiencing the uncomfortable emotions. Um, But when we uh, are more neutral again, then in fact, cultivating positive emotion, and we can do that in so many ways. Um, There's a whole set of techniques I teach in the Resilience Reset program Mm -hmm. that are evidence-based that are shown to also support um, lowering cortisol, which is our stress hormone, to rebalance hormones, to increase mental clarity, um, to support, again, building resilience. So there's a whole set of techniques. There's also just, you know, mindfulness, becoming aware of the present moment. There's breathing techniques. There's accessing nature. There's a really cool study um, that showed students who just were in nature for five minutes had noticeable benefits. It improved their mood, um, among other things. So as little as five minutes. So it doesn't have to be something that is like, well, I can't do it unless I can go on like an hour long walk. Well, no, you can actually do that if you just spend five minutes outside. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It doesn't have to be something drastic um, or difficult. We can do this in micro opportunities and we can do it every single day. We don't have to wait for crisis to hit to build our resilience. You can start right now. Mm-hmm. That's really great. Yeah. Can you share? So one of the techniques is, is just exposing yourself to nature, uh, which is, that's, yeah, a big favorite of mine. I talked to uh, Cindy Gilbert about, you know, forest bathing, nature therapy, yes. and all the good things that come from that. And Fernando, about ecotherapy. I mean, that it's like a huge thing of what we do as NDs is just put people back in touch with nature in various ways. 
whether that be the nature of your own body, but also to expose you to the beauty of nature, which has all of these physiological effects. Yes. Um, but what's another technique for it? So if someone's just standing in line at the bank, let's say, I don't know if we even do that anymore with the lockdowns, <laughs> but if someone's like, let's say, you know, you're standing in line for something and uh, you're just kind of bored and you want to reach for your phone, how could someone start yeah. to cultivate a positive emotion? How do they choose which one? Sure. Uh, yeah. Sure. So we can dig into a few layers here, but the technique will be simple. So if we look at spiritual resilience, which is one of four aspects um, of something I call the resilient woman formula, which is looking at all those four pieces. So if we look at the spiritual aspect and we dig into personal values, what's an important personal value for you? For example, one of mine is inner peace. And there's some research that shows using affirmations can even help facilitate behavioral change. So if I want to behave in a more peaceful manner, because that's a really important value for me, how can I do that? Well, while I'm waiting in the grocery store, instead of grabbing my phone, um, I can recite in my mind an affirmation. So one affirmation, which in fact, if I do grab my phone, I put it on my, my screensaver and it says, I am here and now there is only peace in the present moment. Mm. So I know that if I'm feeling kind of stressed or scattered or my mind is really busy, I'm like, okay, let's recenter here. And we do it in a value-based way. So I am here and now. So calling my attention to the present moment, there is only peace in the present moment. Mm -hmm. And you just feel all the stress melting away. The busy mind just clears. It's like the clouds part and the sun comes out. And it's just such a beautiful feeling. And you can repeat that over and over to really ground yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so affirmations are a great way to support building resilient resilience in those micro opportunities, um, that you can find throughout your day. So choose your value, insert value into affirmation about being present with that, um, value mm-hmm. and feel the sense of it, really feel into it. Affirmations and any of the other techniques Um, are not meant to be just recited intellectually, like, oh, peace, whatever. Um, It's about like, what is the feeling? Like, really be in the feeling state, because that's what produces the changes. If we're simply just thinking it and it's only a thought and it doesn't get to the level of our heart, we don't have the same experience of it. It's not as effective. Mm -hmm. And it seems, yeah, like when choosing an affirmation, is finding one that starts to elicit that emotion. Like, I feel like that affirmation for you, you're like, it feels so true. And it's not always there. Like there's other things going on in your life. But when you recite that affirmation to yourself, it immediately cultivates this feeling of peace because you're like, yeah, this affirmation is completely true. And if I just orient myself towards it, I'm reminded that peace is always there. Um, And now I can feel it. I can tap into it instead of boredom or restlessness or whatever thinking about the bank line hurrying up or whatever exactly yes you got it so yeah that's good because I think sometimes too and this is the um I work with patients with this where with affirmations so like looking in front of the mirror we obviously like looking for the mirror I'm so beautiful everything's great and a lot of people are like well for me personally I'd be like oh because it's not always there it doesn't always feel true but so sometimes I'll coach patients to say things like 
you know, if you're looking at the mirror and you're trying to cultivate a better body image, is things what what feels accessible? Like, oh, I don't look perfect, but I have nice hair, or or you know, I'm healthy and well in this moment, or whatever feels more accessible. So it may not be this grand thing, um, but something that feels true. And so, but there's so much, you know, if it's interesting because yeah, if you're like my value is to feel inner peace, there's like a an identity there of like you're a peaceful person and you sort of want to get back to home base. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this affirmations or reminds you like everything is peaceful. It's yeah. About, you know, just, just get to that layer again in the yes. backline or, you know, yeah. Sort of exactly. like I'm thinking of someone wiping out on a big wave, but under, under all that turbulence, <laughs> there's total calm. so in that moment and it will all this stuff will end all the craziness but yes yeah remind yourself at the bottom of the ocean they're just fish kind of swimming around like really chill (laughs) and yeah yeah exactly i love that analogy Mm. yeah surfing has tons of good analogies for (laughs) the mind and mental health and everything yeah absolutely this is yeah this is so great this is so interesting and i think like deeply it's also think of resilience reserves. It's like developing, cultivating this deep trust, you know, that there's this, this, something that will catch us, you know, and like you said, it doesn't have to be a huge crisis, but even in the event of a huge crisis that we will be be held in some way by our own internal reserves, by our communities, by these various things that we've put into place. But even, yeah, in the ups and downs of life, that there's this this deep trust in mm-hmm. our ability to feel emotions, in our ability to mobilize and take action where necessary, in our ability to cultivate positive emotion, ask for help in in the capacity of the, you know, the resources of the people in the community. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. this is great. Yeah. And uh, and I was also listening to this woman. Lisa Feldman Barrett. She's on all these podcasts recently because she wrote a book called Seven and a Half Lessons from the Brain. And she frames stress in a very interesting way. It's a lot of what we talk about, a lot of what is in your program. But it's always interesting when you're doing work and then you hear it reframed and you're like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> like it's sort of saying the same thing and advocating for the same thing, but it just comes from like a PhD person who says it in a different way. <laughs> and, and she's talking about how what stress is ultimately is the body mobilizing resources ready for the thing to happen? So when our body trusts that we have, and she's talking a purely physical and biochemical mm-hmm. level. Yeah. And she's like, really what the body wants is glucose, salt, and water. <laughs> it's very like a biochemist will like distill it right down for you. So, and that's, and stress ultimately is you're raising your, the sodium level and glucose levels in your bloodstream and the water, right? So that's why we always think of like stress is like water retention and hyper, like too much sugar in your blood, like um, high blood sugar and that kind of thing. But the body's sort of ready. And so if you can give it a sense of safety, like, okay, but there will always be salt and water and sugar for you body, like in mm-hmm. the form of like these, you know, and then I'm also able to like, provide you with these deep resources, then again, there's this sense of deep physiological trust. So yeah. it, it comes in all of these different ways, but ultimately it's like developing this relationship with your body um, to, to teach it and to let it know that it's, that 
it can trust you, that you can trust it. There's this give and take relationship we can yeah. get in partnership with. Yeah, I really like that reframe too. I think it's really interesting and kind of boils down to the simplicity. And it reminds me of a research study that I read before. I can't quote it. I read a lot of research, but I don't always remember all the specifics and I can't quote necessarily the authors or the dates, but this really cool research and it was about uh, around the topic of stress and epigenetics, super fascinating. And I just remember this figure from it and it showed, you know, real stress, like AKA like limb has been cut off or perceived stress Mm -hmm. um, or even threats. And there was like, um, like a boss yelling and, or um, what else was another example, like a past due bill, there's all these different perceived threats. So I think that's an important distinction too. like, what is real? And it was um, showing about it, you know, in the study, it was showing like how our body physiologically will prepare for a perceived threat of say a boss yelling at you, even if it's something that we're just anticipating, but actually hasn't happened Mm -hmm. in the same way as if like a limb has been cut off. Right. Um, Which I think is an important distinction because we want to be mobilizing our resources appropriately. Mm -hmm. So that's where um, having that self-awareness to dig deeper on, if I feel stressed about something in particular, how can I look at that a little bit more deeply to understand what is the true threat there, if any, Mm -hmm. Um, and to reframe it if there's really not anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it takes a certain level of self-awareness to do that, Mm -hmm. um, which is literally just looking at yourself, you know, it's just looking at that. Yeah. It takes an understanding too of that, of that response because that response, like, so your boss yelling at you, you, all the things that are happening in your body are preparing you to be injured, you know? Mm-hmm. So your, your body's preparing, okay, how am I going to best respond to this guy hitting me? But in our modern society, and like, unless you live, you have a really unfortunate boss that does hit you. So hopefully nobody has that situation, but in most cases, the boss not going to hit you. He's yelling at you. And the probably most appropriate response in that moment is to de-escalate using words but we can't in that moment because our body like that we our physiology is not set up for that properly mm-hmm. to like look at your boss as he's yelling at you and you're having a major fight or flight response and calmly say the right thing like we don't have that capacity physiologically right that that would best happen in a calm centered place and meanwhile the body's preparing to like deal with a severed limb when your boss is yelling at you. Yeah. So there's no blood flow to your brain. The blood flow is like moving to your internal organs. It's moving away from the limbs just in case your limb gets cut off by your mm-hmm. boss. Yeah. So it's mobilizing like opiates, getting ready to get hit. And um, yeah, so it's understanding that process to, and then that emotional regulation to, you can't completely remove yourself from a fight or flight response, but to like trust your resources to try and find yeah. some sort of center so that you can say something like, I need a moment, sir. Let me think about this. And then go and get your, you know, know, feel more centered or to be able to, I don't know, say something, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Like you said, this self-awareness of understanding how your body responds and what that means and that that's not like a fault within you. It's just how our body responds the best way was how to that situation and how do we deal with that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So true. And I think, 
you know, it's like, okay, well, that's how our body wants to physiologically respond. But if we've practiced the mental and emotional aspects of responding during difficult times, then that is a more available resource to us in those moments. So most naturally, I don't think anyone would respond easily with like just calm and poise. <laughs> um, people might want to be um, defensive, right? Because we can get in fight, fight or freeze. Some people might just stay there like a deer in headlights and do nothing. Um, or others want to run away. All perfectly understandable. That being said, how would you feel differently if you had already practiced for difficult moments like this and you're like, okay, um, like you said, I, I need a moment, please. And how interesting is that, how it de-escalates the situation and, you know, versus if you yelled back, well, that's just going to escalate it and make things worse. But if you could just be calm and be who you truly are and who you authentically want to be in difficult times, you know, you can show up as that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this idea of practicing makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's like you just don't, show up to a performance and perform you've practiced it so that you can deal with that heightened anxiety that comes from being in front of an audience of a thousand people or whatever yeah Yeah, so when it comes to the boss it's like okay i know what i'm gonna say i'm just gonna execute that despite all of this physiological turbulence happening inside my body of fear yeah yeah Can you tell us a little bit about your program? So you did, you told us about, you know, the resilience reserves and the cultivating positive emotion, but what could someone expect if they're interested interested in, uh, in doing your program or learning more about it? Sure. So um, I have a program that's designed for patients and it's called the resilience reset program. And this is something that's designed to help you access calm to practice all these things so you can show up and reduce stress um, to gain confidence and to also give you back some energy that might be getting tied up in unpleasant emotions. So that's the whole design of the program. It's something that I do at this point exclusively with patients, but I'm working on developing um, more programs that are for the public. And I also have a free community called the Resilience Reset Community for Women on Facebook. Um, But the program itself that I do with patients is uh, four weeks long. We are tracking something super cool called heart rate variability, which is the most accurate non-invasive measure of the autonomic nervous system. So this is essentially a system that is responding to stress in your body. It's our stress response system. So we're tracking that. And I don't know about you, but so many times I've had in my office um, patients that sit there and say, well, I'm not stressed right now. I don't feel stressed. Everything's fine. And then I measure their heart rate variability, which is HRV for short. And we can see this incredible stress response happening inside their body when we're in like calm, quiet office with like Zen music in the background. And we're just having a casual conversation. Yet that person sitting there at rest and quiet is showing a stress response as if there's like a grizzly bear in the room. Hmm. Right? That's not good. Mm -hmm. Um, and so sometimes people are just not aware of the level of stress that's happening inside their bodies. So the heart rate variability monitoring is a really incredible way to, um, give someone insight on a screen in front of them as to what stress response is going on. Cause there are harmful effects to stress. 
Um, we know that it's associated with anxiety, higher risk of heart attacks, um, and just chronic health conditions with more inflammation in the body, et cetera, et cetera. So many negative impacts mm-hmm. from stress. Um, but if you can start to understand what your stress response is and then change that, mm-hmm. well, that's a pretty amazing thing. So over the course of the four weeks, we are um, looking at emotional literacy. So starting to label our emotions um, because we can't communicate about our needs if we can't label our emotions and we can't understand what our needs are if we can't any- label our emotions appropriately. Um, we're also focusing on um, techniques. So I teach a series of five techniques over four weeks where you are starting to learn to embody this shifting of your stress response internally in literally seconds. So once someone has practiced, um, you can see it change in an instant on the screen into like a nice balanced, like healthy zone of where we want to be, where we're more in our parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and digest mode in contrast to what we've been talking about, which is sympathetic branch of our nervous system, which is fight, flight, or freeze. So I think it is so um, fascinating to see the transformations that occur with people from start to finish. Everyone might have slightly different goals about what they want to do, but a common thing that women tell me is that they want to work on, um, you know, being more themselves in a moment of stress than allowing their emotional response to get away on them that they just want to cope better with stress. They often are looking to have more energy and so much energy can get drained um, throughout a day and in having uncomfortable emotions just um, going on throughout an entire day. And then, yeah, so that's essentially the focus of the program is to um, help women really elevate with their emotional responses to be more truly themselves Um, and to have confidence that they can respond in a way that they really want to, that is their true selves. That's really great. Yeah. Yeah. You're using almost like a biofeedback of something that's imperceptible, but you're measuring it on a screen so someone can see that. Oh, okay. So this sensation I have in my body that I don't think is stress, actually, (laughs) I am feeling a lot of stress. Then you're teaching them how to bring that stress response down and they can see that happen, then they can observe the physiological sensations within and how that's shifted. So you're kind of yeah. giving them an extra piece of feedback to be able to manipulate their internal experience. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, you imagine like when, if you're carrying a, a low level of stress all the time, like mild to moderate stress about your daily life, it's like running all these apps in the background. Like it sucks your energy. Yeah. And, and then you're also a little bit more you're on a bit more of a hair trigger. So something stressful happens and you explode or you shut down or you go into, into full fight or flight. And, uh, and we don't, we're not even aware that we're walking around with this low level tension all the time. So that's really yeah. powerful. That's cool, Tara. Yeah. It's so much fun. It's definitely one of my favorite things that I do. That's awesome. Do you have any last thoughts for, for the listeners or any last things you want to end on before mm. we wrap up? Well, um, I guess maybe I'll share a, like a quick summary or overview of some key points. Yeah. Resilience is something that is in all of us. So you are truly resilient. It is built into your DNA and you can reinforce that capacity. You can do it starting now and in moments throughout every day. You don't have to wait for a crisis And that resilience isn't totally on your shoulders. It's not a solo act. We build resilience in community. Amazing. 
Yes, that's great. That's a great place to leave off. And I'm going to have links in the show notes so people can find you on Instagram and your website and learn more about your practice. And uh, thank you so much for joining me, Tara. This is great. Yeah, you're so welcome. And if you want to, I can share a free gift with your community. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Is there a link for that? So I'll put that in the in the notes as well. Awesome. Yeah. So I have a free gift for your audience. It's called the stress relief kit. So if you catch yourself in a moment regretting what you said or did when you felt stressed, then ruminating later about how you could have shown up differently as who you really are, your best self, then this is a kit that can help you get out of reaction mode. So after the last over decade of practice, I found that these three instantly actionable tools can alleviate stress by stopping emotional drain, right in its tracks, rapidly restoring inner peace, and then giving you newfound confidence in your emotional response. So you can download that at teraguzo.com slash com. Okay, amazing. Yeah, I'll put that link in the show notes so people can find it. And that sounds awesome. That sounds really useful. Like someone can download that right now and probably <laughs> put that into action for something that's going to happen today, you know? <laughs> so that's Yeah, amazing. exactly. And I want to thank you so much. This has been such an awesome conversation. Um, I love your podcast and all the great work that you're doing. And it's just been so fun to have this free flowing conversation today. Thank you, Terry. Yeah, it was tons of fun. This is really great. I learned a lot. And I, yeah, and I love having this convo of just like, uh, you know, hearing what you're up to and, and all the work you've been doing and your story was, is really inspiring too. So that's awesome. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you.